0: Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for calling us here today to worship you. And as we come in today, I ask you to take all the distractions of last week, all the anxiousness about what lies ahead in this coming week away. Just take those totally out of our minds today. Help us to focus completely on you you, the author and perfecter of our faith. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, since since Mr. Uh, Quigley, the uh, athletic director, did go to seminary, <clears throat> maybe he'd like to come up here and do this, would you? <laughs> How long has it been? You maybe want to come up here and do this, you know? <laughs> we are in the midst of a summer series, actually closing, closing in on the end of the summer series that I'm calling a character tour of the Old, Net, Old Testament. And this week, this week we're looking at servant leadership. And uh, we're, we're going to talk today about Jesus in the Old Testament. And since the very first week that I told you this was one of the characters that we were going to look at in the Old Testament, some of you have been giving me grief about Jesus in the Old Testament. And had I, had I lost my mind, was he in the Old Testament? Did I forget he was in the New Testament? I mean, people were like Noah, I get, and Abraham, I get, and Deborah, I get, and Daniel, who we're going to talk about next week, I get, but, but Jesus? Jesus? What about this Jesus guy? Where do you get him in the Old Testament? So in a minute, I am going to show you where you can find Jesus in the Old Testament. Before I do that, I want to take you to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, It kind of sets up what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus, a portrait of a servant leader. It says this, For the Son of Man, Son of Man was a phrase that Jesus used most often to refer to himself. We might say that was his favorite phrase to refer to himself. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I want you to focus in on that word, many. We're going to be talking about that word, many, throughout the morning. One person giving his life for many. One act of service producing many results. It's okay. I want to show you where you can find Jesus in the Old Testament. And of course, it, it's in your handout, in your notes. Hundreds of, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the scriptures prophesy about his, his birth. There are literally hundreds of prophecies, hundreds of years before Jesus that are fulfilled. And one of them is found in the book of Isaiah. And you see that in your notes. It's in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. You find a prophecy called the suffering servant. And maybe when you get home today, we're not going to look at every one of the verses there. But when you get home today or this coming week, this could be your reading for this coming week. You may want to read that entire passage, Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, because it sets up the story of the cross. Now, I can tell you that the friends that I have in Israel, from having been there so many times, um, every one of them that is now a Christian has become a Christian, did not become a Christian by reading the New Testament, did not become a Christian by reading the Gospels. They became a Christian by reading Isaiah 52, and 53. That's the verses that spoke to them. God spoke to them out of the scriptures that they were used to in order to draw them closer to Him and reveal Jesus to them. It's, it's amazing as you see, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah predicted that Jesus was going to be a suffering servant. He was indeed born. He eventually did die a terrible death on the cross, we know. So, so let's look at a couple of passages as Isaiah looks ahead to what Jesus would be. The first one I want to take you to is Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 14. It says this, see, my servant will prosper." He will be highly exalted. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. Many were amazed when they saw him. Beaten and bloodied. So disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a person. Wow. And of course, years later, that prophecy came true. Now, if you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, you will remember that on the cross and before the cross, Jesus was beaten. He was bruised, and it was really hard to tell who it was because he went through so much. And as we think about this, we see the idea that Jesus was a willing servant. This passage called the Suffering Servant gives us some lessons about how we, too, can be a servant. Now, I'm not talking about the crucifixion part for you and me, not literal crucifixion. A lot of people misunderstand what it means to be a Christ follower. I use that term as a distinction between Christian and following Jesus. I use Christian to mean somebody that accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior and then sits in this chair right here and soaks up whatever's going on and never does anything. They sit and soak. They never do anything. They think they've got it. They go to church on Sundays. They might pray once a week. Once in a while, they'll crack open a Bible after they Blow the dust off of it and, and read a scripture or two And they call themselves Christians But I want to make a distinction At Renovation Church Between a Christian and a Christ follower One that follows Jesus' commands One that's obedient to his commands One that gives it all up For Jesus And there is a distinct difference in the two. Being a Christ follower. Simply but means that you. have You've decided I guess. To become a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus. You're going to do what Jesus did. That's kind of the simple definition. Of Christ follower. A lot of times after I do a service on. On servant leadership or servanthood or serving in the church or whatever it might be, people will come up to me and say, well, what do you mean by Christ follower? Well, define a lot, the life of a Christ follower so I can understand it. And and I, if I could summarize the life of a Christ follower in one word, I would say it's the word servant. To be a Christ follower is to be the word to be a servant, a servant. The call to follow Jesus, you see, is the call to be a servant. And as we look at this passage in the Old Testament and see how Jesus served, we can see how that might apply to us. Because after all, and this is uh, the first uh, fill in the blanks there in your in your handout. Learning to become a servant is the mission of a Christ follower. I mean, we're not born knowing how to serve, so we have to learn to be a servant. We have to look at the example that Jesus gave us. We have to look at His model, if you will, and we have to follow that. Learning to become a servant is the mission, though, of a true Christ follower. And here's the bottom line. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to learn to be a servant. Learn to model the actions and characteristics that he gave us in the Bible in first being a servant to us. After all, he did, indeed, serve many, it says. Served many. And we're going to talk about that today as we look at these actions of a servant. Learning to be a servant has some side benefits that you might like. For example, being a servant not only makes you be like Jesus, but it also is the only path that I know of. To happiness. You want to be happy? Serve. Remember, a couple of summers ago, we did an entire summer on the uh, Beatitudes, being blessed. And I told you that the word for blessed and happiness is the same word. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed? Be a servant. Be a servant. Jesus taught over and over that if you want to be happy in this life, what was that song? If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, don't make a pretty girl your wife. Well, Jesus didn't teach that. What he taught was, if you want to be happy in this life, it's not about getting, it's about giving. It's about giving. It's about serving. Albert Schweitzer the famous missionary medical doctor said it this way. He said, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Those are the only ones... That are really going to be happy. And what did he do with his life? With his medical degree? With his high IQ? Some thought as high as Einstein's might be. He took off to darkest Africa. For his entire life. Was a missionary doctor. In the midst of Africa. People miss this all the time. People think that happiness is found in getting Don't they? But actually, and you're going to have to kind of stay with me here to get your fill in the blanks, happiness is found in giving. Happiness is found in giving. Many people think that greatness is found in receiving. But real greatness, it should say, not happiness, real greatness is found in serving. Part of that copy and paste thing didn't work too well for me. Real greatness is found in serving. So let me say that again. Happiness is found in giving. Real greatness is found in serving. Many believe that life is about rising up and have others serve you. You want to get to the top of the heap, the king of the hill. You ever play that game? And have others serve you. But it's really about... Life is really about bowing down... And learning to serve others. So today let's look at how Jesus modeled that. We're going to look at four actions of a servant leader. And the first is this. Put God first in my life. The first action of a servant leader is put God first in my life. If you want to be a servant leader like Jesus, you put God first in your life. You see, a servant leader is defined by whom you serve. And for most of us, we go between one or two choices. Either we live our lives trying to serve ourselves... And we end up being a selfish leader. Or we live our lives trying to serve God. And by serving God, we are serving something bigger than ourselves. And therefore serving others and serving God. It's like we get the whole, the whole ball of wax. We get everything. Putting God first in our lives. But there's always going to be A constant competition with that one, isn't there? Always. So the first decision that you have to make if you want to be a servant leader like Jesus is put God first in your life. You have to answer the questions. Who's number one in my life? Maybe what's number one in my life? What has first place in my life? Who am I really serving? I've told you a number of times you can tell who you're really serving when you look at two things your checkbook and your calendar. You don't find out who you're really serving? Look at your checkbook and your calendar. That'll tell you who you serve. In the words of the famous philosopher, Bob Dylan, he says, everybody's going to have to serve somebody. You know that song? Have you ever heard that song? Everybody's going to have to serve somebody. Either you're going to have to serve the Lord or you're going to have to serve Satan. That's a great song. I listened to it uh, yesterday afternoon again. You have to kind of listen, you know, you have to... His words are all mumble-jumble, so you have to really listen to what he's saying. But the words to the song, if you could just get the lyrics, it's great. What he's saying is great. Everybody's going to have to serve somebody. And the neat thing is you get to make the choice. God's going to let you make the choice. He's not going to make the choice for you. Let's see how it was in Jesus' life. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, he says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. Who are you going to serve? Who is it that you are going to serve? Jesus' ultimate priority was to serve the Father who sent him. That's what he said. His entire life was an example for us of putting God first in his life. We're all going to face crossroads in our lives, every one of us. Either you have, and I imagine by looking at the color of our hairs in here, those of us that still have hairs, uh, that we have faced many crossroads in our life already. Those, Those things that happen in our lives where we have to make a decision. And we go this way or this way. Will you choose the selfish path that you want or will you choose the servant path And do what God wants you to do. In Jesus' life, the crossroads came just hours before his crucifixion. Just hours before this Isaiah prophecy was fulfilled. You see, Jesus found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was talking to God. He said, Father... I know I'm about to be bloody and bruised and I'm going to be hung on a cross and crucified for the salvation of many. And he prayed this in Luke 22:42, 42. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. I want your will. Not mine. You see, only a servant can say that. Only a servant can say, God, you're first. I want your will to be done. And you know what? Once you decide who you are serving, it's easy to be a servant. The decision is deciding who you're going to serve. Who you serve will, dis- will determine how you serve. If you want to be a servant leader, it's putting God first in your life. And as we talked about every week, this requires you getting out of your comfort zone. And getting into... The character zone, the only place that God can actually grow your character, develop your character, improve you, cause you to be the person that He created you to be. You have to get out of your comfort zone. And so many of us just want to stay right there where it's so comfortable. We don't want any challenges. We want to be right here. Life is so cool right now. Why would I want to challenge? But you see, God is far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. God is far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. And to do that, requires that you say no to some selfish things. No to some comfortable things. So that you can say yes to serving. So that you can say yes to the character that God wants to develop in you. And when God, is say, when God is first in your life, I guess you are saying, you truly understand the path to greatness is the path of service. That's how you get to greatness, through service. All of our society, all the secular world around us says, if you want to be great, you have to ascend to greatness. And we've built up all these steps that you take to get there, haven't we? In business, in social life, in economic strata, in our community, in our churches. Oh yeah, we've built up all this hierarchy, malarkey, to get there. But Jesus came to turn all that around. Turn it on its head. Turn the world upside down. And he says, the path to greatness is not ascending. The path to greatness is descending. It's descending to serve others. That's where you really are great. That's where your character grows. That's where... You get everything that you need in this life. That's true greatness, and it starts with the decision in your life to put God first. Here's the second action of a servant leader. Protect my attitude. Protect my attitude. A servant leader... is determined by whom he serves. I said that to you. That's the action of putting God first. But a servant leader is defined by the attitude he displays. That's the action of protecting my attitude. See, psychologists have taught us That while we can't determine the external circumstances in our lives, you can't determine what is going to come your way. You can determine your reaction to those circumstances. I think maybe all of us would agree with that. That's what psychologists have come up with. Man, they're smart people, aren't they? That's really a, a, a profound statement. William James, the Harvard psychologist of the 21st, uh, 20th century, said this. He wrote, he wrote this. The greatest discovery of my generation is that you can alter your life by altering the attitudes of your mind. Wow. You ever run into William James before? Deep. Deep. The greatest discovery of my generation, the 21st century, is that you can alter your life by altering the attitudes of your mind. Well, the Apostle Paul figured that out long before William James was ever born. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your minds. Duh. It all begins with your mind. It all begins with your attitude. Maybe, just maybe, you need an attitude adjustment today. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's why you came in here today, for an attitude adjustment. Maybe some of you need your rear end aligned too. I don't know. Notice the attitude of Jesus when he was faced with this treatment of being bruised and broken on the cross. The prophet predicted in Isaiah 53, 7, he said this, He was opposed, opposed, oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his Mouth. He displayed an attitude of servanthood. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the torture of the cross on behalf of mankind. And in so doing, he refused to grumble, he refused to complain, he was absolutely silent. And his attitude came not out of his weakness. His attitude came out of his strength. Because it's only the strong person that can face eternal suffering, that can face eternal servanthood, and not complain, and not grumble. We've all seen the man, or the woman who can approach a difficult task with the right attitude and really is the model of strength to us. You see, it's easy. It's easy to complain about an assignment. It's easy to grumble about the position you have. It's easy to whine over the fact that you didn't get your way. But the servant... Protects his or her attitude. You see, servant leaders rarely proclaim, uh, complain. Servant leaders rarely complain. They protect their attitudes. That's what they do. And the Apostle Paul marvels about Jesus' attitude. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, from the message paraphrase, he says this, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Listen, when you're called upon to serve, what kind of attitude do you have? What kind of attitude do you have? Do you have a can do attitude? Do you? a want-to-do attitude? Are you a willing servant? Or are you the one who grumbles and complains and thinks, this is beneath me, and it's not for your own best interest or you're not going to get anything out of this? Is that you? Will you make the decision... Will you decide today to be a willing servant and never, never miss an opportunity when it's presented to you because of a bad attitude? Will you? One of my famous writers, Anonymous, has said, It's not my aching back that prevents me from helping my neighbor. It's my don't-want-to-do-it attitude that prevents me. Yeah. Jesus models protecting your attitude. The third action of a servant leader is this. Plant daily seeds of love and kindness. Now, this one might need a little more explanation than the others. But basically, it's the idea that a servant leader makes the decision to put others first. Oh, but George, you said put God first. Yeah, I said put God first. And put others first. Well, that's, where does that leave me? Well, if you put others first, I mean, put God first, and you put others second, that leaves me as third, right? I'm in third place. Wow. That just turned my world upside down. A servant leader makes a decision to constantly invest his or her life in others. To give his or her life away. Albert Einstein said, Only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. Only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. And Jesus willingly gave himself up so that others could be served. He was truly one sacrifice for many. Isaiah 53, 11 says it this way. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. You see, one person, Jesus Christ, bore the sins of all. One man's death led to the salvation of many, all who believe. That's the power of servant leadership. You see, the power of servant leadership is found in the fact that when you decide to serve, your actions are multiplied. The ROI for your business, folks, the return on your investment is exponential. It's not just a multiplication thing. It's exponential. Typically, the opposite of servant leadership is what we might call selfish leadership. And you know, really, our whole world, our whole marketplace, our whole economy runs on selfish leadership. Selfish leadership says, if I... if." Let me get this right. If, if you give me one unit, then I'll give you one unit in return. Maybe, if I'm honest with you. That's how it works. For example, if, if you agree to work somewhere and they agree to pay you $10 an hour, you give them one, hours of work, one hour of work and they give you $10 back. That's the way it works. That's the way selfish leadership would work. Now, servant leadership operates on an exponential return on your investment. Let's say you have a little garden out on your terrace, patio, backyard, wherever it might be, and you plant one, one tomato seed that little tomato plant begins to grow, and you take care of it, and you water it, and you nurture it. And it doesn't give you back just one little tomato seed, does it? It gives you back a bunch of tomatoes. Sometimes so many that you have to give them away, or they rot. I love tomatoes. If any of you have tomatoes, bring them in. Then you slice those up, and there are thousands of tomato seeds. And then you take those seeds and you dry them out. And you know what? You have enough seeds to plant an entire garden. An entire field of tomatoes. One to many return. That's a pretty good investment. That's how servant leadership works. When you give of something... When you die to yourself, the return is exponential. And Jesus models that. Jesus' one act of love and kindness is enough for the entire world. Not just during his lifetime, but the entire world to come. For you and me, here today. For those who will come after us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. Though he was very rich, yet to help you, he became very poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. And I guess the logical question that you would want to ask is, why would he want to make you rich? Why would he want to make you rich? So you and I are to model being a servant. Jesus gave to us, and we can give to many. You know? We can give to many. And those many can give to many more. And they to many more. Exponential growth. That's what we're talking about here. Exponential growth. Think about the spread of Christianity down throughout the ages. You and I can have faith today. You and I can have eternal security today because one person died. Thousands were affected. Thousands more were affected by them. And even today, there are 2 billion Christians around the world. That's exponential return. One seed went into the ground and the return was exponential. When you choose to serve, a few can serve many. One can serve many. The scriptures over and over and over again compare the actions of servanthood to a farmer who plants seeds. That's where I got the idea for this particular point. As servants who follow Christ, our goal in our lives is to plant as many seeds as possible. And I want to challenge you to be a person who regularly plants those seeds of love and kindness wherever you go. You do that by serving your neighbor. You do that by praying for your neighbor. You do that by inviting your neighbor to church. One can serve many. And I want to challenge you to do that today. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop plant daily seeds, daily seeds, not once in a lifetime, daily seeds of love and kindness. The philosopher Edmund Burke said this, nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. You think I'm not going to make a difference? I can only I can only do this little thing. It's not going to make any difference. So you do nothing at all. That's the greatest mistake you could ever make in your life. Who knows what that little bit could be in God's hands? Who knows? That may be exactly what he's looking for. And you may be exactly who he's looking for. Plant some seeds of love and kindness. Action 4. Of the servant leader, pursue a lifetime of servanthood. You decide to put God first, you decide to protect your attitude, you decide to plant seeds of love and kindness. But God's ultimate goal for your life is to do them long term. Like I said, not just today. As Christ followers, we are not called to occasional service. We are called to ongoing servanthood. We're not called to occasional service. We're called to ongoing servanthood, a lifetime of servanthood. And that's the end result that God wants to have in your life and my life. It's the defining characteristic of your life. At the end of your life, when all's said and done, God can look at you and he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, a lifetime of servanthood. That's how we become great in God's eyes. Isaiah 53, 12 says, I will give him the honors of one who is mighty and great because he exposed himself to death. He, meaning Jesus, is willing to give himself away. The heroes that we remember are the ones who gave themselves away. Think about it. The heroes who we really remember, the heroes who are written about, the ones who we have statues of, the ones who mean the most to us are the ones who gave themselves away. You remember the tennis pro Arthur Ashe who died far too young? He said this, true heroism is very undramatic. It's not the urge to surpass all others at whatever the cost, but it's the urge to serve all others at whatever the cost. It's not about surpassing. It's about serving. If you want to be great, learn to serve. If you want to live a life of significance, decide how to bow down and serve others. If you want to hear God say, well done at the end of your life, make it a priority every day of your life to serve. A lifetime of servanthood is the only path to significance in your life. It's the only path to happiness in your life. It's the only way that you're going to make a difference with what God has given to you. And Jesus says it this way in Mark eight thirty-five. He says, If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find it. Will you be willing to give your life away? Will you be willing to follow Jesus to be a servant leader? Will you? I'm going to challenge you to be a servant leader, to do that today. And by today, I mean right now. <laughs> I mean in just a few minutes you may have noticed when you came in here, some of you are, have eyes like, I don't know, like an eagle. That I had dozens and dozens of Krispy Kreme donuts over here. Huh? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, and they ain't for you. And some of you got confused. You thought, well, they moved the cafe over here this morning. No, while you were in here enjoying the service, there's men and women across our community this morning who are serving us. They're helping to keep us safe. Many of them have been up all night. Many of them are going to be up all day long today. And they carry on their uniforms the initials H.C.P.D., H.C.F.D., N.M.B., Public Service, Public Safety, I guess, South Carolina Highway Patrol, maybe a military uniform. I don't know what else. And I thought... What if on this day, when we're talking about servant leadership, what if we expressed our appreciation and if we served those who serve us? Now, I know you have stuff to do this afternoon. And if you went to another church you would just now be getting started with the service, you know? But not so. You're at Renovation Church. (laughs) So you're going to beat the people to the uh, restaurant anyway. (laughs) So I'm asking you to delay that just a little bit. I mean, how long is it going to take to go to a fire department or a police department? I think it's a pretty cool treat to get donuts. I love to eat donuts, particularly Krispy Kreme donuts. I had an awful time bringing these over here last night, <laughs> and not eating a one of them. And that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm I'm not asking you. As a matter of fact, I'm begging you not to go and give a testimony to somebody about Jesus. I'm just asking you to go and deliver a box of donuts to them and thank them for their service. It's okay with me. I think we have some some business cards here from Renovation Vineyard Church. It's okay with me if you want to take those. Uh, somebody, at Mr. Info, knows where those cards are. Yes, you can. You can make sure we have plenty of those over here after the service and. Uh, Take one of those with them and you can tell them where renovation is and you can tell them your kooky pastor said uh, uh, I was supposed to bring you some donuts today. You might tell them why. But thank them for their service. I mean, we really need to be thankful for those people that are serving us around the community. I think they're forgotten a lot of times. All I want you to do is take these and deliver them. Why? Because small actions can produce exponential results we don't know what the results will be but i do know as we look at that last verse in your handout there that that jesus said this come follow me and what was it that jesus did that they followed he served he served other people and that's what I want Renovation Vineyard Church to be known as. A church that serves our community. Amen. And that's all I have to say to you today. God, I thank you for your word. Never changing. Ever true. The answer to everything. I thank, that, I thank you that years before your son was born even on this earth as a human... The prophet Isaiah prophesied all these things about him. And every last one of them came to be. 29 of the 300 prophecies came true on one day. One day alone. We see in his life a life of service. A life dedicated to service. A life of following your will. Oh, Lord, help us to be like that. Help us to get ourselves out of the way and follow you. Help us to be servant leaders in all that we do, beginning this very day. In Jesus' name, amen.